come to practice Dhamma, we're often told to be mindful. Very common teaching. And it's correct. But also we have to know what to be mindful of. So in the path of practice we have many skillful means to help here. We have the practice of the recollection of the Buddha and being mindful of the Buddha. Recollection of the Dhamma being mindful of Dhamma, of truth and the path that leads to the ending of suffering as part of the truth, the Four Noble Truths. And mindful of Sila, of Vinaya, mindful of Samadhi, mindful of meditation objects, of Samatha, and then mindful of the objects of Vipassana, Anicca, Dukkha, Anatta. Mindful of Sangha, Sankhanu Sati, the recollection of the qualities of the Arya Sangha, enlightened ones, noble ones. So that can be recollection of enlightened beings that one has met, what one remembers recollects and is mindful of in their teachings, both their words and their example of behavior. And there are many more skillful means to develop mindfulness. Recollect the qualities of a samana, recollecting the fact that we are samanas, being mindful of being a samana, and so on. This is to aid us in the establishing of the basic understanding of training the mind. We're training the mind to develop kusala dhamma, wholesome dhammas, and abandon akusala dhamma, unwholesome dhammas. These different areas where we develop mindfulness, they're helping us to direct our attention to know what is wholesome and what is unwholesome and train our minds accordingly as this is the the basic first step in training the mind for the liberation from suffering we have to develop the, un, the wholesome abandon the unwholesome
So say for instance, recollecting Sangha, Sankhanu Sati. Bringing up into consciousness, into awareness, these qualities of uh, <coughs> those who have practiced well, practiced directly, practiced insightfully, practiced with integrity. That is the four pairs, the eight kinds of noble beings. Such ones are worthy of gifts, worthy of offerings, worthy of respect. An incomparable field of merit for the world, and so on. We can take the time to recollect such qualities as we've recognized in others or heard about, read about or we can search for those qualities in our own heart as a way of bringing up wholesome dhammas and bringing up mindfulness and mindfulness of the qualities of the Sangha So for one skilled in this, maybe it just resolves, reduces down to recollecting one word. Sangha, 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 or any of the aspects of Sangha. Ujupatipano, Nyaya Patipano, Samiji Patipano, Bhagavato Sawakasanko. Could be any of these different descriptions of the qualities of Sangha or just recollecting a person a Ajahn Chah for instance Ajahn Man recollecting maybe they're just visually recollecting some aspect of what the memory of them brings up the Sanya the perception of them brings up just as a very simple direct recollection or it could be more involved and just recollecting how would a noble one relate to this situation say we're making a decision in our daily life how would a noble one act here what would they say what would they do here at this time How does a noble one live? How do they make use of the requisites? How do they spend their time? How do they go to sleep? How do they wake up? How do they eat? How do they speak? One can use this as a recollection just to bring the mind back to wholesome dhammas being mindful of Sangha and the qualities of Sangha. One who's practiced directly, practiced well, it implies 
one who is sincere, truly practicing the path for the end of suffering, sincere in their efforts, sincere and honest to their goal, not easily swayed or distracted, not half-hearted, just doing it as a sort of a casual thing, passing the time, sometimes doing it, sometimes not. When one's recollecting these qualities, one can see, I mean, practicing well, practicing directly, training the body, speech and mind in the Dhamma in the Vinaya. Practicing with integrity, <clears throat> not giving in to unwholesome dhammas. If one needs the strength to abandon some negative or unwholesome mental state, then one can reflect on the integrity of the Arya Sangha. They are willing to give up, give away such unwholesome mental states or behavior. having practiced well, directly well, with integrity and insightfully, well, they become those who are worthy of offerings, not because they want a lot or have greed, but just it's appropriate to see that the results of that practice in a human being, the purification of mind, the compassion, the wisdom, are something worthy of respect, worthy of offerings. It's the highest. It's that which we aspire to, liberation from suffering, more important than anything else in the world. Being mindful of Sangha, and particularly Arya Sangha, yeah. being mindful of how people have trained themselves, and being willing to train, willing to give up other things, other aspects of life, <clears throat> give up personal comfort sometimes, give up family, business, the seeking of wealth, uh, the distractions of the world, in order to just focus on training for developing insight, wisdom, being patient enough, enduring enough to keep practicing over and over again, not giving in to boredom or Restlessness based on the fact that you have to keep practicing over and over again and often repeating similar kinds of practices like in meditation, keeping the rules, meditating, living in a simple way requires great patient effort, persistent effort, not giving up. And being willing to keep turning to Dhamma to train the mind to see, to know Dhamma, 
over and over again. This is what made all, uh, all of those noble ones noble by turning to Dhamma, putting attention on the Dhamma, it ennobles the mind, brings up wholesome Dhammas, Kusala Dhammas. And this is how they gradually free themselves from defilements and the causes of suffering. Practicing insightfully means being willing to turn to the basis of insight over and over again. And the Buddha said the way insight develops is by repeatedly attending to the perception of anicca, dukkha, anatta, these three universal characteristics of existence. This is how we train in insight and develop insight. And this is not just knowing with one's memory these words. It's taking them into one's heart as teachings, recognizing anicca dukkha anatta in one's experience repeatedly over and over again until the mind intuitively knows these qualities. One just knows, the heart just knows anicca dukkha anatta. It's been trained to the point where that's the the realization, the understanding that the heart has. By training in that way, it leaves an impression That's why it's very difficult. This is why we do bow down to the Sangha. Because it's difficult to keep turning the mind to Anicca Dukkha Anatta. Because over the many lifetimes that we've been living, the tendency has always been to ignore Anicca Dukkha Anatta. The way of the world, the way of ignorance and craving and attachment is to ignore an ignicca dukkha anatta. And this is why we suffer. We ignore truth and therefore get caught into suffering over and over again. So being mindful of Sangha also is being mindful of Anicca Dukkha Anatta. One thing leads into another. When the Buddha talked about Anicca Dukkha Anatta, generally as we chant, he referred to the five candors. That covers pretty much everything. Everything material, everything mental. So where do we start? Where do we be mindful? Well, he gave four noble, uh, four noble truths and then mindful of the four noble truths and then four foundations of mindfulness in body, feelings, mind, objects of mind, phenomena. 
this is where we can develop and be mindful, develop insight, and be mindful of anicca, dukkha, anatta. Every day we have this opportunity. If you just take the body, the posture that we have from the beginning of our day when we wake up, changing posture, we can observe anicca, dukkha, anatta. The changing feelings, sukha, dukkha, adukha, masukha, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Changing memory, perception. Changing thoughts, mental states. As we start to observe this, we're recognizing insight. It's clear recognition or clear seeing, clear knowing of truth. So every day we have the opportunity to be investigating, turning the mind to develop insight into these five candors. Recognizing that which is impermanent, changing nature of this body from moment to moment through our day. Changing posture, changing physical sensations, heat, cold, hunger, energy, lack of energy, good health, bad health, illness, and so on. What changes or is subject to change is unstable, difficult to bear with, difficult to be with. It's dukkha. Just the very observation, recognition of of change in this body on a daily basis is tiring. The development of insight, mindfulness of anicca, dukkha, anatta in this body is tiring, difficult to be with. You could even say it's oppressive because one is bringing one's mind to see truth and we don't want to see the truth. It's, it's difficult to turn to, to be with. It's easier to go to what is not true, to distraction, to concepts and ideas, to the delusions of permanence, of happiness, of self the opposite of an Ichidukha Anatta. Just saying, being mindful of one's posture through the day, how long can one do that without falling into distraction? Or how oppressive does it start to become if we just tie the mind down to just being aware of our posture through the day? But that oppressiveness is actually teaching us, showing the dukkha of, of this body. What is subject to change is affected by causes and conditions, changing all the time is dukkha, it's unstable, it's difficult to be with. What is anicca, what is dukkha, is anatta. 
this body is showing us all the time that it's anatta. It's beyond our control. We can't interfere very much with the changes that are going on in this body. We can see them but we can't control them or make them any other way. So this body cannot give us permanent happiness. Rather it's oppressive, it gives us pain, gives us discomfort, difficulty. It's a burden, we have to feed it and look after it. It's not the source of a stable, lasting happiness or self. That's what a self implies. Something that exists by itself and endures and lasts and is stable and brings ultimate happiness. Reflecting on an each dukkha anatta like this starts to reveal the truth about this body. Ajahn Chah always used to say, what is not yours, don't give too much importance to. And when we start to reflect on these five candors, and beginning with the body, becoming mindful of anicca dukkha anatta, as techniques to train in insight, then the result is one doesn't want to give too much importance to it, because one doesn't own it. It's not me, it's not mine, it's not myself. And the basic delusions that we have based on these five candors, wherever you look, is that we have the sense this is mine, based on craving, and sort of the grasping at the candors. This is me, the delusion of a conceit, self, a self, an I. And the view that I am this, this is myself, this body is myself, these feelings, these memories, these thoughts are myself, sense consciousness is myself. This is the coarsest view, of coarsest kind of delusion, just the basic identification of self with these candors. Sakaya ditti, so what, what drops away under the power of insight develop regularly, frequently. This is what ennobles the mind of the Arya Sangha. This insight gets to see, first of all, that this is not myself. These are things that arise and pass away according to causes and conditions. And this is what insight reveals, clear seeing of the changeable, unstable, uncontrollable nature of this body and the feelings, the memories, the thoughts and so on. This is how we train, following in the path of the Sangha, being mindful of the Sangha means being, being mindful of anicca, dukkha, anatta in our experience. The result of that is that one starts to not be so bound up, caught up, or give so much importance to that which is not 
doesn't belong to one. Even harder is on the mental level, feelings, perceptions, memories, thoughts, but still quite possible. As you meditate, you can see your thoughts can come and go and they can be thoughts that are bothering you all day. You come to meditate, really try to be mindful of the breath or some meditation object and those thoughts completely disappear at least temporarily. Where have they gone? And they arise according to causes and conditions. So the causes and conditions change and those thoughts will change. Your thoughts about things, your plans, your ideas, your imagination is changing all the time. If only we recognize this by being mindful of Anicca Anatta, and then we can free ourselves from some of the delusion of that grasps these thoughts as a self, me, mine, myself. Even the very language which strings our thoughts together, that's not ours, is it? We didn't, we didn't create the language, these words. We inherited them from other people, from our parents and the people around us. Even language is constantly changing. New words arise since we've been monks and we live in the monastery. We miss out on some of the evolution of language in the media or in the realm of the internet. <coughs> now there are words out there that we don't even know the meaning of because we're not up to date anymore. The language is obviously not self obviously subject to change. Your memory of language changes. You forget words. Can't remember all the words that you used to learn, know when you were younger as the memory fades with age. If you learn another language, you can forget words in that language. You can move from one language to another and forget words in your mother tongue, pick up new words, forget them. You take all the words out of your mind as you practice meditation. You see very clearly how thoughts and concepts and ideas are an each dukkha anatta. And with them, a lot of the emotions, the emotional baggage, the emotional power that we give to our thoughts dissolves away as you contemplate an each dukkha anatta. When we come into the monastery and we are new to meditation and new to insight, probably just some thoughts immediately stir up emotions, your thoughts about certain ideas, certain people, memories. And we think about it and straight away fall into a, an emotional state. We can feel sad, feel happy, excited, angry. It's just words. And then with sanya, with perception, we add, add some significance to those words and then we find ourselves in an emotional state, a mood. As you practice meditation and developing this insight, though, you can see how unreliable all of that is. It's just causes and conditions. Your mind is 
moved around in this way as you experience happiness and sadness over and over again. Just based on different causes and conditions, on language, on memory. How our memory changes, the memory of events can fade or get twisted, can completely change around. can see over time they're living in the monastery you have this opportunity to keep reflecting and recollecting on each dukkha anatta you can see over time how your memories change and how the con- way they condition your mind condition the feelings and the emotions that come from those feelings how they change and they have the saying when you're a young monk come into the monastery tend to talk about things like or either think about or talk about things like food you know, the food that we eat and you anticipate the food that's coming or the drink the evening drink that has big significance basically it's the memory one is grasping at that memory and it has a big meaning for one's mind so it becomes an issue so when it's time for food, you look, you're at your kuti, it's 10 o'clock or 10.30, approaching the time for the meal. Maybe anticipation comes based on that memory. Or drink time, similarly. What will there be at the drink? What will there be at the meal? But as you've been in the monastery a few years and those memories maybe fade because you've faced them so many times with mindfulness and just looking at them become a little bit more boring not so attractive to the mind, not so important maybe your interest in certain foods changes maybe some foods used to be very exciting and it just becomes ordinary they're very uncertain aren't they? Maybe you see some food and you think, oh, I really like that. But then you eat it with mindfulness and after a while you realize you can't get the same happiness out of it anymore. What used to make you happy now leaves you just indifferent. Or what used to be indifferent makes you angry or even makes you happy. It can change around like this based on the uncertainty of our memory. So over a few years, maybe the interest in food and the requisites one has, the kuti one has, the the kind of cup one uses, all these sort of little things maybe fade a bit. Maybe then it changes into thoughts and plans about where you can go. Other monasteries, other places, travel. So conversation changes, moves away from things like food and drink to travel places, different monasteries, different areas, caves, jungles, big monasteries, small monasteries, hermitages. Maybe it goes in that direction. But again, if one's practicing insight, then one is aware of the conditioning nature of the perception, the memory, the thought formations coming from it the interest, the lack of interest, the mood it puts one in, the excitement of travel, the boredom with the same old place maybe, 
All of this is a food, food for anicca dukkha anatta. Maybe when you're a terror, then the thoughts change again. You've been around enough, seen everything, so maybe it's building monasteries become the issue. Plans of building monasteries, lay people getting to know lay people. Maybe it changes again. But if you're training in insight, then it's just you're still using the same reflection and each dukkha anatta. Memories giving rise, stimulating different feelings, feelings giving rise to memories. They both act on each other. From that sanya and that way to now, then we get sankhara, mental formations, planning, thinking, seeking, wanting. All in each dukkha anatta. If one's kept at it, that persistence of insight, then the, the whole point is that one gives less significance to all of this. One might still have to think and act as a reasonable human being, but one is not taking all of that so seriously. Right, Ajahn Chah said, you know, one doesn't want to give so much importance to what one knows is not yours, it's not mine. These candors are not mine. What is not yours naturally becomes less interesting to the mind. And this is where we achieve liberation. Or maybe your thing is you talk about Dhamma and levels of samadhi, levels of insight, attainments, comparing what you've heard and people you've met, comparing different ajans. This one's attained or not attained, this one's a bodhisattva, this one's an arahant, this one's got jhana, this one's deep insight, this one has psychic powers. Maybe that's the thing that feeds your sanya and your emotions and your memories and your thought formations. Still an dukkha anatta. Maybe it's your own experiences at this good meditation sticks in the memory so every time you remember that if you're not mindful well then it'll be this is me, this is mine, this is myself or if you've heard other people have some good meditation some insight, some samadhi and you feel you don't have it yourself so you might feel disappointed or a failure again it's me, mine, myself if you're not practicing mindfulness and each dukkha anatta, then you won't see this. So you might become disappointed. Or you have some insight, you feel excited. I can meditate, I'm good, I'm advanced, I'm attained. And on it goes. The mind is constantly looking for something to latch on to. Me, myself, mine. The antidote to this is anicca dukkha anatta. So then you could say, well probably if one truly progresses in the practice over these years of training, then this sense of detachment, dispassion, disinterest, 
peaceful seclusion from me, myself, mine, and these five candors grasping at them, well, that will grow, won't it? So then, you know, the deepest insight, the deepest experience in practice, samadhi, insight, even the area path itself, magapala, would surely give rise to a sense of nothing, normality. Because it's just an each dukkha anatta and one is just seeing that one doesn't own anything. And what one doesn't own, one doesn't want to give too much importance to. So even the memory of of whatever it was, good mem- good meditation, attainment, so on, it's not one's to belong, one doesn't own that, one, it doesn't belong to one anyway. Any thoughts one has about it don't belong to one anyway. It's all just a nature dukkha So the Buddha constantly encouraged us to train in insight in this way, anicca dukkhanatā, as a way of training the heart to free itself from delusion. You begin, even before coming to the monastery, you begin, anybody who's had any insight into anicca dukkhanatā starts to give up some of that tendency we have in lay life just to accumulate things. So usually it's material things. We start giving things away or less interested in acquiring wealth because one knows however much wealth one has, you can never really own it. It's not not ours anyway. It's a Nietzsche Dukkanata. This is where dana begins. We come into the monastery, we don't have so much wealth to give away anymore because we've already given it up, given up our rights to wealth and very limited possessions, no money and so on. But if one has that insight established and one keeps training in it, then to experience, say, a little bit of dukkha vetana as one meditates, the dukkha vetana, say, eating one meal a day, sitting cross-legged, walking meditation, dukkha waiting and doing work to look after the monastery. Well, one starts to give up that on a, on a deeper basis, a more profound basis, and giving up, giving away one's dukkha waitana. Literally, one is just giving away ownership of the dukkha waitana. And giving away the seeking of sukha waitana associated with more with the lay life entertainments, pleasure seeking nice food, nice comfortable living situation and so on one starts practicing dana on this level, giving away, giving up so then insight can develop more deeply so maybe Practicing meditation for many hours, sitting and walking, one gets a bit tired and hungry, but it's just dukkha waitana. It's not mine anyway. Just the waitana kanda, one starts to see them. This is not me, not mine, not myself. 
or the missing out on Sukhavetana. One doesn't have some of the home comforts, doesn't have a wife or a girlfriend to pat you into bed at night, keep you company, don't have the food you want, don't have the different extras that you want in life. Doesn't matter because they're not yours anyway and the Sukhavetana is not yours anyway. As insight progresses little by little, you know, the mind is less and less interested in taking ownership of that which brings suffering. Dukkha Vaitana, Sukha Vaitana, these can arise according to causes and conditions which are beyond our control. So then if you can't control it, you might as well give up on it. Just know it for what it is and then let go. Body, feelings, memories, thoughts, sense consciousness. As you get older, you sense consciousness, what can you do about it? Your eyes start to go, your ears start to go. Maybe even other sense contact starts to go. In parts of your body maybe even become a bit numb. You're not so sensitive. Maybe you don't notice heat and cold in your fingers or toes so much because they're just getting older and the nerves are wearing out. When you're ill, your taste buds don't work. As you get older, your taste buds are a little bit more bland and not so sensitive perhaps. There's more pressure as you get older, more aches and pains, stiffness. Recovery from illness or exertion is longer. So a sense consciousness is not so reliable. Maybe just go blind when you get old, go deaf. Memory and ability to think clearly and memorize maybe just disappears, maybe get Alzheimer's. Even the mind consciousness not so reliable. If you're taking ownership of consciousness, sense consciousness, going to be a lot of suffering as things change because it arises according to causes and conditions. Even when you're young and healthy, you can notice how uncertain it is. Maybe you get distracted, say you, you do have a lot of uh, interest in, say, mealtime. It's 10.30, getting close to the meals, want to have your meal, but maybe you're distracted talking to somebody and don't see the time. You don't see the clock because your mind is elsewhere. So that sense consciousness is very uncertain. So you miss, or you're late for the meal, or even miss the drink, maybe you're meditating in your kuti and completely miss the clock because you're meditating. You don't have that seeing consciousness arise, don't see the clock. So you just miss it. Sense consciousness very uncertain. You're walking back to your kuti at night and come into contact with a wombat or a deer and suddenly there's loud noise in your ear out of the blue. Sense consciousness very unpredictable.
seeing, hearing. All the time we have an opportunity to notice anicca, dukkha, anatta, and this is how this sense of dispassion, detachment arises. Gradually less interested, giving less meaning, less significance to these candors. Still knowing them, still inhabiting them, but less fascinated with them because you know they're Nietzsche Dukanata, they're not something that you can own anyway. So they say the, the, these Arya Sawaka that we recollect with mindfulness. It's there on the first level, just seen there's no self in these candors. These candors are not the self. The conditioned nature of them is clear. They understand that and they know that for sure. The craving and the conceit and the mind and the me a little more subtle. So even the anagami has a sense of me. It still has a conceit of I. This is why even an anagami perhaps could have some delusion in their practice. Maybe think they're already arahants. Or a sotapanna can think they're an anagami, still have a sense of conceit and I, still have ignorance conditioning the mind. So only the arahant who will have completely freed himself from ignorance and conceits. But if we keep practicing in this way, keep investigating, leaving no stone unturned, investigating this body, investigating feelings, the mind, the objects of mind. Keep recollecting Anicca, Dukkha, Anatta, or this is the way that we follow in the footsteps of the Arya Sangha. This is the way we can ennoble our mind, free it from suffering, and develop that insight that they developed. So I'll leave you with these reflections tonight.